as you've already heard, we had a great time at Vacation Bible School. It was a fun time this week, a lot of things that took place, and uh, a lot of people that were involved. Yes, I'm going to come back up to the front. I'm just, you guys bear with me while I make my way up there. Um, vacation Bible School was a lot of work, and I want to express appreciation to Ashley our director, and to all of you, the many of you who serve God so well by serving children and by serving families this weekend. Yeah, there were issues and challenges, all that were managed and addressed. Yes, it took time and energy and effort and money. And yes, it was so worth it. It is often to see how God is glorified in us in the moment. When you're bandaging bandaging a scraped knee or holding the attention of 18 elementary school kids or gluing crafts without gluing yourself or dripping chocolate on a banana or trying to eat a banana that said chocolate dripped all over it or singing uh, with or without great enthusiasm or even playing cornhole or rehearsing Bible verses and reading scripture. But listen to me. The time you spent... The attention that you gave, the words that you spoke, both in conversation, informal and casual, informal, direct and instructive, the meals that you shared, the songs that you sang, all are investments in lives, lives that matter to God and that you have demonstrated so well matter to us. Listen, we exist to glorify God. By making mature disciples of all nations, starting right here in the West End of Greenville. And I, I appreciate you. I appreciate the ministry that took place just this past weekend. Now, this is one of many. We have a lot of things that take place in the life of the church. But I love the theme of Vacation Bible School. I was really not aware of it before we planned the sermon series. But the theme of Vacation Bible School, as you can see... Is Keepers of the Kingdom, the subtitle is Standing Strong in Today's Battle for Truth, which fits perfectly well with our current sermon series entitled Christ, Culture, and Sexuality. And so you should have a worship guide with you. I hope that you have one. You can, I, we've left you plenty of room to take notes, and there are some further questions that you can go in after the service. But our prayers that we will hear from God this morning. Now, I was walking down the hallway this weekend. I didn't know they were going to sing it this morning. But I heard, I will not, I may never, may never march in the, you guys know the song, right? Right in the Calvary. And we always did shoot the artillery. I don't know, a little, little bit different. Uh, but I love the song. Uh, I was raised with it. I, I sang it as a, as a kid in church. And I love the energy, I love the emotions of that song. But around 15, 18, 20 years ago, there was this really strong movement among Christian churches, some Christians that were protesting the unbiblical military warfare imagery of that song and many others, even some hymns that had been in the hymn book for a long time. But let's begin by simply acknowledging that as believers, we are engaged in a battle. There is warfare. Uh, And that's number one on your outline if you're following along. Uh, A simple statement, there is a battle. The language of spiritual warfare is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. You recall in Matthew 10, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, 
but a sword. And in this context, he's talking about the sword that would separate even son from father and daughter from mother. The Apostle Paul used a lot of this type of in imagery, instructing us about putting on the whole armor of God. One of the things that we studied this weekend and one of the things we have studied many times in our history of study here. The Apostles, again, repeatedly speak and preach and use the terminology of, of uh, a warfare, of battle of a military struggle. We are on a spiritual battlefield. And to downplay or to deny it is to withdraw from a battle that we're signed up for. It is important that we not give ground to the enemy. In this battle, Christianity is on the offense. Now, not in a way that implies that we should seek to be offensive or to take it as some sort of badge of honor when we're able to offend others. But when we talk about being on the offense... We're talking about like what Jesus said when he said, I will build my church. And what comes after that? I will build my church and the, do you know? Are you with me this morning? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. What are gates? They're defensive. They're stationary. How do they defend? Someone has to be coming against. We are to be going into the world. We are on a mission, a great commission. Jesus' statement demonstrates that the church is to be moving outward. Passivity has no place in the Great Commission, nor in the commission that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1. From the scripture reading this morning, we see clearly that we are taken, when we come to Christ, we're taken out of this world. We've heard God's word. We have received God's word. We have come to know the truth that Jesus came from God. We believe that God sent Jesus. Not only are we out of this world, we belong to God. In verse 9, he said, and they are yours. We live to glorify lives. Our life, his work in us is what brings him glory. And he keeps us and guards us. Verse 12. Yeah, we're in this world. I'm no longer in the world. They're in the world. But we're no longer of the world. And he describes that the world hated him and it will hate his followers as, as well. We are in a conflict and we need God's defense and power and strength to engage in this conflict. He prays that we will be kept from the evil one, verse 15, the enemy, the adversary, and we are sent into the world. Now, it's important that we recognize that there is a, a battle that takes place, but we need to understand the battle is for truth he prays in verse 17, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, I set myself apart that they may also be sanctified, be kept holy, be made holy in truth. Now, most of us have never been on a battlefield in a war and many of us who have, we don't, many who have don't talk about it. Some of you may remember, I've got friends who are in World War II. I've had friends who are in World War II. Some of you are going to remember some of these names. Russell Johnson, you guys remember Russell and Edith? Russell fought on the ground, infantry, at the Battle of the Bulge. You guys remember Raymond Seeley? Uh, Raymond and Sybil, great, great folks. Uh, going to be with the Lord now, all of these folks have. Uh, Raymond was in an uh, aircraft that was shot down by enemy fire over France. He survived the crash, uh, was injured, and was taken as a prisoner of war for 18 months in an internment camp before ultimately being released. We hear news reports today about the war in the Ukraine, about the ongoing war in, in missiles, uh, 
between Israel and Palestine? Listen, for us to be good soldiers, there are several things we need to get clear. And it is the nature of our warfare. The second point on your outline that that we've already stated is the battle is for truth. So it is a battle, but it's not a battle like you may think. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and write, write these down so you can look these up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, Paul describes the nature of this warfare. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, that means we're here with all the limitations of our humanity, our weakness, our failing, our, our stumbling. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. According to meaning simply in the power of or in the strength of or dependent upon. There's clearly a battle we're engaged in, but our flesh can't defeat it. The weapons of our warfare, verse 4, are not of the flesh. We don't fight this battle with our, our wisdom, our human wisdom, our cleverness, or our best strategies. Listen to this. There's not a social or political answer to the warfare that we're engaged in. There's a spiritual answer to the warfare we're engaged in. But we have, here we go, divine power, supernatural weapons, God's power to destroy strongholds. Now, one of the things that we learned this week, and I was going to bring my sword up here. I may, I may have to borrow... Uh, Jacobs. Anyway, we, had, we were talking about the sword this week, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If we're going to, at the end of verse 4, engage in the destruction of fortresses, Paul depicts our, we, Paul depicts our enemy as a strong and fortified. We're fighting a formidable foe. We do it with the sword of, the, of truth, the Word of God that is quick and powerful, that is able to change hearts and lives. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10, we destroy arguments. And so what is the arena of warfare? It's truth. It's ideologies. It's philosophies. Who is Satan? He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this world. What does that mean? It means that his influence influences the thinking. It influences the beliefs. It influences the behavior of the world in which we live. And when we come to Christ, we're called out of this world. And so being in the world but no longer of the world, there is an ongoing conflict. We have a different way of looking at things. We have a different life. We have a different way of understanding things. And it's not that it's elevated or some reason for us to be prideful. It's because of the grace of God. He has revealed knowledge to us. And we are to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. I want to just remind us of something that I think it's important that we know. Learn this a long time ago. Continue to learn it daily, uh, regularly. There's my sword. And it is that uh, Satan's a liar. You guys know that? Yeah, that, my sword, in case you're wondering. I may need it. Satan's a liar and the father of lies. You guys know that? Daniel and I were in the hallway this week, and the UPS men came delivering a box from Walmart. Walmart has a lot of good things. You guys shop at Walmart? Wake up. You aren't that tired. <laughs> do, do you got, yeah, Walmart's got a lot of good things. Yes. I mean, they have a lot of good things. And so when the box came, I didn't know who had ordered what. But I was hoping it would be something like candy for vacation Bible school. Maybe some books. I don't know. We've even bought electronic equipment, which is fun when you open that stuff. And they brought the box in, and the guy just kind of walked in, handed it, and turned around and walked away. 
And so Daniel and I were like, well, we'd better check this out. Now, Daniel, I have repacked this just exactly like it was when we got it. Uh, you want to help? Okay. Shakaya, come on. You like opening boxes, right? All right. Let's open the box, and I want you to have the experience that Daniel and I had with great expectations for what might be in there from Walmart. It won't bite, I promise. Yeah, no, there's nothing alive in there. By the way, the cat was our Vacation Bible School mascot this week. We'll talk about that at another time. All right. We began to unpack. (laughs) 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 And look what Walmart sent us. Thank you for your help. I kid you not, there's more paper there than there is here. And Daniel and I just kind of looked at each other. You, you can leave it there. We'll, 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 we'll take care of that later. Thank you for your help. Daniel and I just kind of looked at each other, and I was thinking, boy, now that's disappointing. There was great promise looking at the outside of that box. But the reality was far less. I want you to know something. You've got an enemy. And he's a liar. And he's a deceiver. The Bible calls him the adversary. And what he wants to do is he wants you to think that everything that God says is just a little wrong. God told Adam and Eve, all these trees. Man, you eat all those trees. Except one, there's just one you can't. And then when Eve and Adam were in the garden and Eve was approaching the tree and she saw it and said, man, that that looks good. I bet that would be delicious. I'm hungry. See, her body was already inclined toward not doing what God said to do. Satan said, did God really say that you can't eat of the trees of the garden? And what he will do is he will take the clear word of God and he will twist it and change it and tweak it. And all of a sudden, the truth that God has delivered to you, someone has changed it and it sounds good and it's got great promise, but it's a lie. And like all lies, it's dangerous. I want you to understand that as we approach the topic that we're going to be looking at, particularly over the next couple of weeks. Because the world, Satan, tells lies. He is the God of this world, means that he is the major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, views of most of the people that you know. Most of the people who are in your educational system, most of the people who are in your political parties, Most of the people who live in your neighborhood are following to some degree 
the philosophies of the age. And if we're engaged in warfare, we need to make sure we know who the enemy is, which is the third point on your outline. Don't get confused on who is the enemy. Don't get confused on who is the enemy. Our focus this month is Christ's culture and sexuality, and willing or not, we have a battle that has come to us regarding the world's concept of relationships and physical relationships and its role in our life and culture. One aspect of this is immediately relevant. It is Gay Pride Month. And I know of no greater corruption, no tweaking, changing of God's design for people that he created and that he designed and that he loves that causes more harm and more damage than what has happened in our view of sexuality and relationships. You guys are familiar. Gay Pride deals with LGBTQIA++. And by the way, that changes and is added to, not often subtracted from. But there is public behavior associated with this celebration that is quite honestly reprehensible. It's an abomination before God. And there are so many things to be said here, but not today. And when I was preparing for this message, I said, there are so many things that I would like to say, but not today because we're focusing on this. And then I came up with a list of about seven things. And I was going to say, but just this or just this or just this. But I'm going to hold those for the next two weeks. There is public behavior that is reprehensible, but far more reaching, listen to me, is the issue of identity-driven sexual behavior. One of the prominent lies of the day that people in and out of the church are embracing is that of identity and where identity comes from. The thinking is that, well, I am a, an L or a B or a G or a T or a Q or a non-binary or plus plus or an A or whatever. And for, therefore, that's who I am. That's my identity for me to be complete and fulfilled I need to be able to live into that identity. And if you tell me I can't live into that identity, then you are denying me abundant life, which I've heard just recently. You are denying me the privilege to be fully who I am. I have to live in and be accepted as whatever I feel I am inside. And to stand against that, if you tell me I'm wrong, is an attack on my very identity. And the world calls that hate. Are you familiar with the concept? It's a dangerous lie that we face continually, particularly in the area of homosexual or trans or non-binary people, is that we either affirm them or we hate them. And that is what is given to us as our only two options. Can I tell you something? We've come to Christ. We're no longer in the world. We are in the world. We're no longer of the world. We have a, a Savior. We have a new life, the very life of God that indwells us. And in obedience to him, we do not hate. Amen? Get that. We do not hate. We cannot hate because of God's word, because of the love that Christ has bestowed upon us. We, listen, <laughs> we cannot hate. But additionally, we cannot affirm we cannot affirm behavior or beliefs that are clearly against the word of God, regardless of who they are. The lesbian couple who is in a long-term relationship or the gay man who just pursues sequential conquest, 
the male teen who works at a restaurant in Powdersville and wears girls' clothes and makeup, or the adolescent girl who feels more boy than girl and goes to a gender clinic for treatment, or even the parent who, instead of helping their child by helping them understand and embrace who God has created them to be, he tries to affirm the wrong and the harmful ideologies and thinking and, and insecurities and practices espoused by the psychological and medical voices of the day, and even those who are leading the charge in these affirming practices are not the enemy. They're not the enemy. We must distinguish the serpent from his prey. We must distinguish the adversary from those that we are trying to reach. This is why we seek to convert those who oppose us, not to own them or to destroy them. We seek their rescue not their ruin. Augustine, centuries ago, said that we stand against the world for the good of the world. And so how do we engage the culture? Well, what our kids learned this week is we need to armor up. You need to put on the whole armor of God. Can I just talk you through a couple of things really quick? First, you need to know truth. And God's word is truth. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The problem that we have with so many well-intended and loving people who have been saved and who have become a part of a church and the family of God, but who are unwilling to take a stand for truth is they do not know truth. They've not studied the word of God. They've not filled their mind and their hearts with God's word. And so I exhort you to open your Bibles, to get into the God's word, to get on your knees or a chair or sit at the kitchen table. That's what Suzanne does. Sit at a desk. That's more of what I do. Open the word of God. Open your heart to hear and begin to read and study and think. Let me tell you, we live in the age of Twitter, right? Twitter? Do y'all twit? Tweet? <laughs> we, we live in the age of Facebook. You know what happens on Facebook? You just go right through and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll. And we are in a scrolling slash real, R-E-E-L, real mentality. You understand what I'm saying? And then you open the Word of God, and there's a bunch of words on the page, and nobody's singing. Nobody's dancing. There's not a meme. Where are the pictures? I don't see the pictures. And, and it just turns into ink on paper. Can I tell you that God's Word is living and active? Yes, you have to put your eyes on the page and read the script. But the author lives in you. And as you read and as you seek to understand what's being said and who said it, who he was writing to and the context of which it was written, what they heard, what is God saying to them, what is God saying to us? And you begin to search the scriptures and study the scriptures and to rightly handle the word of God. All of a sudden, this book becomes alive and God speaks through his word it is a book but it is a special book it is God's word and God speaks to us and he gives clarity and understanding and his Holy Spirit brings illumination of the truth that's recorded here and when the world says something different we need to be so engaged in truth that we recognize the falsehood are you with me you need to be so engaged with truth 
that you recognize the falsehood. So the first thing is simply to know truth and to stand on truth, to be familiar with it. And that will enable you to be, and I'm going to give you two phrases. That will enable you to be, you need to write this down. First of all, a faithful presence, faithful presence. We need to be distinct from people who are not following after God. A survey recently I read, Baptist Campus Ministries out of uh, uh, South Carolina, the South Carolina Baptist Convention. A lot of the campus ministers in South Carolina said, tell us about your Christian friends. And they went out into the, to the uh, uh, what, frats and sororities and uh, the different places on campus. And they said, do you, do you have friends who are Christians? And this is from people who are not. And, and they said, oh, yeah, we have Christian friends. And he said, all right, what distinguishes them? How are they different from you? And overwhelmingly, the response was, other Christians are cool. They're just like us. They hang out with us. We go to movies together. The Christians are cool. They're just like us. That's an indictment. We're in the world, but we're no longer of the world. We are sanctified by truth. Sanctified, what does that mean? Cleansed, washed. Hagias, we are set apart. We are pulled out differently. And so... How are our lives characterized? Not by affirming sinful behavior, but by sexual purity in your own life. It means, in the, in the context of this theme, sexual purity in your own life. Abstinence before marriage. It means not shacking up or cohabitating. It means finding the spouse that God has intended for you to have and living with them in a covenant relationship. It means not casual sex. It means being faithful in marriage. It means uniting your body and soul to one person for life in the covenant of marriage, guarding your heart by making a covenant with your eyes, be, being careful and, and de, um, determining what not to watch on TVs and movies and what you read and what you see on social media, and making a covenant with your ears, what you listen to, the theme of the songs, the music, and the, 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 the philosophies that are proclaimed, music gets in. The devil takes something God created for his worship and he will fill it with words that will find its way into your mind and will change and adjust your thinking podcasts and all the rest here's all I'm calling for here I'm calling for us to follow after Christ not that we might be saved but because we have been saved out of the world but second engage engage the world grasp the opportunities before you I told you to write down faithful presence now I want you to write down truthful witness truthful witness truthful witness is the church involved in culture wars and we got to go don't we is the church involved in culture wars we're in a battle but we know who the enemy is and we need to be learning who the enemy is not but how do we engage there was a time when we were the when the church was, and I'm, again, I'm speaking in broad general terms, the church was the moral majority. We stood for what was moral and what was right, and we did so almost militantly and in every arena. And then this whole mindset came, well, you know, we need to be winsome. We need to be kind and amiable. We need to be feeding people and clothing people, and, and that's how we're going to win the war with culture. Our love will overcome their hate. And here's what we have discovered that yes, we need to take a stand against truth, and yes, we need to be winsome, but we need to recognize what the battle is about. Os Guinness has this in two perspectives, and I'm going to be quick here. Uh, but one is the open hand. 
And the open hand is, if you're hungry, I want to feed you to the extent that I can. If you need clothes, I want to clothe you to the extent that I can. If you are lonely, I will sit down with you and talk with you and open my home to you and I will be a friend to you. What your need is emotionally and what your need is physically, God has sent us here to display his love in these practical ways as a means of sharing the gospel. And because we love God and because we love you and because we share the gospel, we not only have the open hand, we have the closed fist. And the closed fist says, this is the word of God. And what he says is true, and there is no compromise. And there is no negotiation over the clear, simple truth of God's word. And I'm going to hold his word and grasp his word because of my love for him. And I'm going to be willing to confront you when you are living contrary to God's word for your good. Because I love him and I want the best for you. And his word is best. But I want to close with this. Sometimes when we talk about Christ's culture and sexuality, we think the win is heterosexuals married for life. And that, that's what saves us. And can I tell you that homosexuality no more sends you to hell than heterosexu- heterosexuality promises you a place in heaven. You understand that the issue in our battle is not behavior modification. Adults, are you with me? The issue here is not for people to behave in a way that we approve of or even in a way that God has instructed us to live as believers. The Bible tells lost people how to be saved. It tells saved people how to live. The issue is not behavior modification. Here's here's why Christ came into the world. Here's why we had vacation Bible school. Here's what we're doing and what we're talking about. Here's why we exist as a church. Because there is a God and he is real and he has crafted you and he has made you and he has uniquely designed you. Listen to me. According to the truth of God's word, Psalm 139, we read it last week. From the moment that you were conceived, God was shaping your body, the genes, the blood vessels, the heartbeat. He's intimately involved in every detail of your life. God's your designer. And yet, because of Adam's sin that you have inherited, because of the nature that is in you, and because of the many choices that you have made, sin has separated between you and God. And the consequences of those sins you carry around like a burden. I mean, the immediate consequences, the mistakes that you've made, the rebellion that you've engaged in, you're living, Romans chapter 1 describes as being under the wrath of God. What does that mean? It means God lets you do it. I mean, God lets you rebel against him and suffer the consequences of your rebellion. And there's going to be an ultimate consequence. Listen to me. Don't miss this. There is an ultimate consequence. The ultimate consequence is the wages of sin is death. There's coming a day when there'll be no more chance, when the line has been drawn and eternity is sealed. And when a person comes to realize that, that I have a God who is a designer who loved me, crafted me, created me, has a design for my life, that I am separated from him by sin. And then the good news, God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, 
who lived perfectly without sin to satisfy all the righteous requirements of God. And God made him to be sin. All your sin, all my sin, all everybody's sin from all time. God placed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and poured out his wrath upon him in our place. And I come, I become saved. I recognize who Jesus is and I become aware of that. And I become aware of that not just as a historical or intellectual fact, but as a reality. It's like the light comes on. It's like all of a sudden I, I see God in a way or I understand something that I've never understood before. He, in my place, died for me. And he offers life and righteousness. And in his righteousness is life. And in his righteousness is the only place there is life, eternal life, real life. God made him who knew no sin to become sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me tell you what Satan's going to tell you. He's going to tell you you don't need that. All you got to do is check a box. All you got to do is go to church. All you got to do is to believe that Jesus was on the cross. All you got to do is be good enough. All you got to do is really whatever you want to because God's loving and it doesn't matter. And he will lie and lie and lie. But God's word clearly says all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, not even one. That the wages of sin is death. But, listen to me, but God has made a way. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And we, we come to him in repentance and faith. When we say, I give up, I surrender. A massive change happens. We become something that we've never been before. We become saved. New life. A new creation. A change of status. Not an immediate change of complete morality, but a change of status. All of a sudden, I'm new in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, that's victory. That's where the victory is. The victory is not in what I do or how I get somebody's behavior to change. The victory is in introducing and proclaiming the gospel and seeing God work, change, and life into one who was previously dead. Satan's going to give you a wad of paper towels. And it's far worse than that. Christ offers all the fullness of God. In the, per- in the person of his son. So that's where we are. That's where we are. Now next week, I want to be clear. Next week, we're going to spend two weeks where we're going to invite elementary school age kids to go to a children's church. We'll come here and sing together. And then at some point in the service, any of the elementary school age kids that would like to go back to children's church can go there. Because we're going to deal more, I don't know, openly with the issue of sexual purity and what that looks like and how we as Christians can not only live that way, but how we address a society that has embraced clear and overt sin. I want the high schoolers to stay in this room. The children's church isn't for them. This is an important conversation for us to have. But if you have smaller kids and you felt like as a parent you would rather carry on that conversation with them, then we are free to have the elementary school kids go back there. But we're going to deal specifically with the issue uh, of our day or the issues of our day. But primary issue of our day is how do Christians respond to the transgender affirmation movement? Okay? Does that sound exciting? Does it sound like something you need to know? Okay, so that's what we're going to do over the next two weeks. But the main thing here, guys is you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know. 
You need to keep your eyes focused and turn your eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the simple truth of the gospel. We know that we're in a battle. We know that the battle belongs to the Lord and that you have won it. But Father, we know you call us to be engaged. You call us to be engaged in the battle by standing firm, by not giving ground, by walking in holiness with you. But then by not only being a faithful presence, but, uh, but Father, by being a, a witness, by being a, a, a speaking the truth in love to the people that you bring into our sphere of influence, by engaging at every opportunity with the goal of seeing people being brought from death to life through the, through the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do that. That's your work. We love you and we trust you. In your name I pray. Amen.